On Friday night, the Orioles suffered maybe their most embarrassing loss of the season. But hey, it didn't even matter because they recovered one, two in a row and took home a series victory over the Seattle Mariners. I'll recap it all, including Santander's homers, Mullen's return, and the Ryan McKenna walk-off out of nowhere. Coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, June 26th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap the Orioles weekend series win over the Seattle Mariners. I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from Saturday's win, the five things you need to know from Sunday's win, and a couple of other notes from the weekend. We'll try not to talk too, too much about the 13-1 to loss to the Mariners on Friday. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Before we get there, though, just want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, and we're right here on YouTube. So make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, if you can as well. Spotify, a five-star rating always helps. And we thank you for tuning in every single day. Those everydayers out there make this podcast possible. As the O's continue to win, hopefully more and more people come find the pod, tell them about the pod. It's going to be fun to talk about the O's all season long. So thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, it's an Orioles series victory over the Seattle Mariners. The O's get two of three at home in the continuation here, or the start, I should say, of a nine-game homestand hosting Seattle, Cincinnati, and Minnesota, and they started with a series win. Now, it didn't start out too hot. The Orioles lost 13-1 to on Friday night in game one of this series. Maybe their most lifeless performance of the season. I think you could make an easy argument for that. But... They came back. They won it in 10 innings, 6-4 to four on Saturday on Ryan McKenna's walk-off homer. And then on Sunday, holding on for a 3-2 to two victory to win the series as the O's in their first series against Seattle this year do take two out of three. They remain four and a half games back of the Tampa Bay Rays. I do want to, I mean, shout out to the Royals who went into Tampa and took two out of four from the Rays this weekend. That's a, that's a pretty good job by Kansas City. But the Orioles get to 47-29 and 29 on the year. Remember five years ago when the Orioles won 47 games the entire year in the 47-115-2018 season? Well, they're now 47-29 and 29 on June 26th. But we're going to start today's episode taking a look at the Saturday win. Going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 6-4 to four victory in 10 innings over the Mariners on Saturday. And the first thing you need to know is maybe the most unlikely outcome of any Orioles game this year happened on Saturday. What is that? Well, that is a Ryan McKenna walk-off home run. The redemption moment for Ryan McKenna after he dropped that fly ball in the second game of the season that would have been a win over the Red Sox and the very next batter, a 2-1 run walk-off homer. Things flipped immediately. I've been down on McKenna. Many have been down on McKenna since then. But this is quite the redemption moment for Ryan McKenna a few months later. And it was his only at-bat of the game. 
He comes up after entering the game as a defensive replacement in the ninth inning. He comes up in the 10th with the zombie runner on second and one out after Adley Rushman flew out. This was supposed to be Santander's spot in the order, but McKenna was in, and he delivers on a 2-1 pitch that just caught a lot of the plate from the Mariners' side armor, Justin Topa. McKenna goes the other way and smashes a ball into the right field seats, 106 miles per hour off the bat. The line drive homer traveled 393 feet. For just his second home run of the season, his only other homer was back on April 29th in Detroit against the Tigers. McKenna hasn't even had an extra base hit since May 19th in Toronto. It's been more than a month since he had an extra base hit. And he comes up in his first plate appearance of the day and delivers a two-run walk-off homer. I honestly could not believe it, but what a job by Ryan McKenna. What a moment, his first ever walk-off home run in the big leagues. And we're still going to talk about in the coming weeks how much longer McKenna is going to be on this roster as you know Cedric Mullins is now back, Aaron Hicks playing well, Ryan Mountcastle getting closer to returning, Colton Kowser and Jordan Westberg knocking on the door of the major leagues. We're going to continue to talk about how long he can stick around, but... I'm sure he bought himself a little bit of time with the walk-off home run on Saturday. Second thing you need to know from this one is that the guy McKenna replaced in the field, Anthony Santander, well, he was the offensive hero before the McKenna swing in the 10th inning. Anthony Santander before being removed from the game in the 9th inning for a defensive replacement, which, before I get to the rest of this, that was the right move. Like, people were upset that, oh, McKenna's going to hit here instead of Santander. When you have a 4-3 lead going into the ninth, and you have Santander out there who doesn't move around very well in the outfield, despite making a really nice catch on Sunday that we'll talk about, you'd much rather have McKenna out there. That's why he's on the team. Unfortunately, Bautista blew the save. McKenna had to hit. But it all worked out in the end, didn't it? But Santander goes 4-4 in this game. His first four-hit game of the season, he had only had one game of three hits. That was... Earlier in June, Santander's been really good in this month, but he goes four for four with three singles and a home run. His long ball for Santander was a key one in this game, as uh, we'll get to it, but Santander has just been on a home run barrage recently, but Seattle just couldn't get him out in this one. His solo home run in the third inning tied the game at two, 103 off the bat, 415 feet, just smoked the ball into the seats then a bunch of hard hit singles as well for Anthony who just he's just seeing it so well right now just seeing it so so well at the plate and he delivered on Saturday third thing you need to know from this one sticking in the Orioles outfield is that Cedric Mullins returned for the Saturday game for the Orioles got the start as the DH and in the leadoff spot did go 0 for 4 with a strikeout but walked once and did score the winning run as he was the zombie runner in the 10th inning on the two-run walk-off homer from McKenna. Now, Mullins initially was scheduled to start in center field in his return, but because of some rainy conditions, the game did start on time on Saturday, but the weather was not good early in the day. Field could have been a little slippery. It just made sense for the O's to make the move, so they actually had him DH. They put Aaron Hicks in center field, but Mullins did get back in the lineup. And listen, he only missed 25 days. He only missed 20 games after that injury when he went out. You know, in late May, it was looking kind of scary of what his prospects could be moving forward. And the Orioles did say weeks and not months, and that's what ended up happening, missing 25 days. But it could have been worse, and Brandon Hyde did say it before Saturday's game. That was kind of best-case scenario. Mullins returning now, played a couple of rehab games in Norfolk, looked healthy, and rejoined the Orioles over the weekend. 
Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 6-4 to win in 10 innings on Saturday as we move it over to the pitching side is that, listen, Dean Kramer was great once again, and he continues to kind of walk on thin ice throughout the season, but it hasn't really mattered. Dean Kramer, seven innings in this one, allowing just three runs on five hits. He strikes out five and walks one, and all three runs came off of solo home runs. He gave up a couple of solo homers to Mike Ford and to J.P. Crawford in the third inning that gave Seattle a 2-1 to lead at the time. And then Julio Rodriguez got him for a solo shot in the sixth inning that tied the game at three. Luckily for the Orioles, Aaron Hicks responded in the bottom of the sixth with a solo home run of his own, his first from the right side for the O's that put them back up 4-3. to But Kramer this year, you know, 87 pitches in seven innings. You know, he did allow six hard-hit balls. Three of them were the homers. He's got a 4-5-0 ERA. But he had that terrible month of April, and since then, he's been really good. He has about a three ERA in his last nine starts. He's been great, but you just look at his advanced numbers, his underlying numbers, and he's getting hit a lot harder than he was last year. He's getting a lot less swings and misses, a lot less chases out of the zone than he was last year. And every time he pitches, I'm just worried that the blow-up start is coming. But it just hasn't come recently. And so at this point, just keep running him out there. And yeah, it might go south at some point this year. But for now, it's working. He's getting hit hard and he's still getting outs. So as long as he gets outs, just send him out there to get more outs. That's basically where the Orioles are with Dean Kramer. I mean, it's kind of a simple solution, but that's what's happening. I mean, he had 12 whiffs on the day, six on the cutter, three on the change, two on the curveball. Once again, was pretty fastball happy on the day as he's been for most of the season. And he was in the strike zone a lot. Only one walk. He's lowered his walks again this year. And when you're in the zone that much, you're going to have success. And, and that's kind of what has happened for Dean Kramer. And then the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Orioles 6-4 to walk-off win on Saturday is that Felix Bautista blew a rare save in this game. Hasn't done it many times this year. Just his fourth blown save of the season. And it was really surprising. He got the first two outs of the ninth inning with the Orioles trailing 4-3. to And then on the first pitch to Mike Ford with two outs, Fastball at 100 down the middle. Ford clobbers one almost to Utah Street in right field for a solo home run to tie the game. Bautista did respond by striking out the next hitter to get it to the bottom of the ninth with the game tied. But you don't really think he's going to blow a lot of saves. I mean, he's only allowed now three home runs on the year. And the first two were pretty understandable. The first one was that McKenna game. Very next batter was Adam Duvall with the two-run homer. You can't blame Bautista. He thought the game was over, as did everyone else. Hard to kind of get yourself back to getting it out. And remember, Adam Duvall, before he got injured, was literally the best hitter in baseball the first few weeks of the season. And then the other home run he allowed was to Aaron Judge in that blown save in New York you know, a few weeks ago. And that was just he hung a changeup to the reigning MVP who hit one out at Yankee Stadium. Those are understandable. Mike Ford is hitting like 170, so that one was a little weird. He does have, you know, seven home runs now in the season, so that makes a little more sense, but uh, it just happens. But you know what? The rest of the bullpen picked him up, and that's a big reason why the Orioles won the game on Saturday, because despite Bautista blowing the save, you had the rest of the pen doing work. Yinye Cano got a couple of outs. Danny Coulomb got a huge out in the eighth inning. Bautista still got himself through the ninth, and then the biggest performance for the pen Saturday was Mike Bauman. Brandon Hyde elected not to give Bautista a second inning in the top of the 10th, instead goes with Bauman, and Bauman gets back-to-back -back gigantic strikeouts 
to strand the runner at second base, get a 1-2-3 tenth to keep it 4-4, four four, and then give the O's the chance for McKenna to hit the walk-off homer in the bottom of the 10th inning. And Bauman had struggled a little bit his last few appearances, but that was dominance. 10 pitches, two strikeouts, four sliders, three curveballs, three fastballs. It was fun to watch from Mike Bauman. He deserves a huge shout-out for that Saturday win. But once the O's got the win on Saturday, Sunday became a rubber match for the Orioles. And they were able to get that done as well with a 3-2 victory to win the series. So coming up next, give you the five things you need to know from that one. Tell you how the Orioles escaped with a series victory over Seattle. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it is all about making sure every single player on that team is the right fit. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors because it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Motors guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. So the Orioles take the series two out of three from the Seattle Mariners over the weekend, dropping the Friday game 13-1, but coming back to walk it off 6-4 on Saturday on the Ryan McKenna walk-off homer. And then they won it again on Sunday, 3-2 to get the rubber match and clinch the series. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 3-2 win on Sunday. And the first thing you need to know is Kyle Bradish just continues to dominate. It's plain and simple for Kyle Bradish right now. He is looking as good as he has ever looked on the mound for the Birds. Kyle Bradish in this start, seven strong innings. Getting back-to-back seven-inning starts, that is quite frankly huge for the Orioles. Bradish goes seven innings in this one, allowing just the two runs. He gave up a two-run homer, an absolute moonshot, but still just a two-run homer to Cal Raleigh in the third inning. But that was the only damage against him in terms of runs. Only allowed two hits as well in this game. And Bradish just had the slider working in this one. He had seven strikeouts, two walks, the one home run, as I mentioned. 103 pitches was a season high for Bradish and just five hard hit balls. And shout out to Bradish, who, you know, walked Jared Kelnick with two outs in the seventh to put a runner on first with the Orioles leading three to two, was at 100 pitches, and he stayed in the game. He stayed in the game and was able to get Eugenio Suarez to line out to end the inning and get through seven. And once again, he just went to the breaking balls as much as he needed to, and it worked out. Bradish, number one pitch again, was the slider. 36 out of 103 pitches, he threw the slider in this one. Now, he didn't throw as many curveballs. There was a lot more fastballs than I would like to see, but still had seven whiffs on 19 swings on that slider, 13 whiffs in total. That slider is one of the best pitches in all of baseball right now. The fastball was in the zone just enough, but not down the middle. was just in the zone, getting some called strikes throughout the day. He was effective with his changeup. He only threw it seven times, but you know he, he got some strikes on that pitch, which was super necessary when he wasn't throwing as, as many curveballs on the day. And he just continues to be great. I mean, Kyle Bradish, since that bad first inning he had in Milwaukee a couple weeks ago, he gave up three runs on four hits 
in the first inning of that start on June 8th. Since that inning, Bradish has thrown 23 innings and has a 1.96 ERA. In those 23 innings, he's allowed just five runs on 12 hits with 23 strikeouts and four walks. He's looking like the pitcher who, as I continue to say, is going to head into next year, I think, as the Orioles' ace. That's how high a ceiling I think Kyle Bradish has, and he showed it again on Sunday. And Nathan Ruiz had a, a really good tweet stat about this. I mentioned Dean Kramer going seven, allowing just three runs on Saturday. Then Bradish goes seven, allows two runs on Sunday. The two of them are very close. They work out together in the offseason. They've kind of helped each other with pitching. Nathan Ruiz tweeted, Kyle Bradish has a 2.16 ERA this season when he follows a Dean Kramer quality start. Now, most of the year, the Orioles rotation has gone Kramer, then Bradish. So whenever Kramer has a quality start, you can expect one from Kyle Bradish as well. Again, a 2-1-6 ERA when following a Kramer quality start. That's that's quite a one-two punch from Kyle Bradish and from Dean Kramer. Shout out to Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun for that fun fact. Second thing you need to know from Sunday's game is that Anthony Santander's bat stayed hot. Now, he only had one hit, but it was a big one. A two-run homer in the third inning off of Mariner starter George Kirby that tied the game at two Santander making it three homers in the three games this weekend, homering in all three games against Seattle. This one, 105 off the bat, 390 feet into deep right field for a two-run shot. And again, it was his only hit of the day, but a home run in all three games this weekend. Santander now with five home runs in his past six games. He's up to 14 long balls on the year, which leads the Orioles. And he's just been great recently. Over his last 12 games, he's 17 for 50. That's a 340 batting average. Also, Rob De Homer in this game took one away in right field in the first inning from Julio Rodriguez. Just kind of doing it all right now is Anthony Santander. And I don't think he's like playing well enough where he's going to you know play his way into an all-star game or anything. But he has been really, really good over the past month or so. And the Orioles have needed it. Just the power bat getting on base. Now an 836 OPS for Santander been a big catalyst for this Orioles offense third thing you need to know from this one the 3-2 win for the O's on Sunday speaking of the Orioles offense Jorge Mateo was able to reach base twice in this game now Jorge Mateo has been arguably the worst qualified hitter in all of Major League Baseball statistically since May 1st his on-base percentage is right around 200 in that stretch but he got on base twice on Sunday. One for two with a walk and a double in this game and scored both times, scored on the Santander homer, and then he scored on the go-ahead run in the fifth inning, also stole a base in this game. But drawing a walk and getting on base twice, that has been tough for Jorge Mateo. His last walk was June 13th against Toronto. It's been two weeks almost since he walked. The last time he got on base twice was also... That game, June 13th. And the last game this year when Mateo had an extra base hit and a walk in the same game, like he did Sunday with the double and the free pass, was April 29th in Detroit. That was also the last time McKenna homered. That was the last time Mateo had a walk and an extra base hit. He had a walk and a home run in that game. He's been real bad recently. But if he can just get on base a little bit more, he helps the Orioles. And yes... Did he still have his issues this weekend? He absolutely did. On Saturday, he comes in as a pinch runner in the ninth inning, takes off for second on a pop-up, 
has no idea it's an infield pop-up, gets thrown at it first, doubled off to end the inning by a mile. I mean, everybody in the stadium had to be yelling back to first, and he did not go back to first. Still have no idea what happened there. And then on Sunday, he's got all this good grace, right? He comes up in the seventh inning. Orioles trying to add on to a 3-2 to two lead. The Mariners make a pitching change. They take out the starter, George Kirby. They go to Matt Brash. And Jorge Mateo gets a batter pitch clock violation for the first strike before Brash even throws a pitch. Now, the Orioles have only had one of those all season. The Orioles are the only team with one hitter pitch clock violation. It was Austin Hayes on opening day. They haven't had one since until Mateo on Sunday. So it's already a bad thing that he got a hitter violation because it's strike one against a really good reliever in Matt Brash. But the fact that he got one after a pitching change, you have all the time in the world to stand there, watch the pitcher warm up, do what you need to do, adjust your batting gloves, fix whatever you got on, talk to the hitting coach, talk to your teammates, everything. How do you get a pitch clock violation as a hitter directly after a pitching change? It's like Jorge Mateo sometimes recently is trying to get into the bad graces of the fan base. But he did reach base twice and score twice, so I'll take that. I mean, I will really take that. That's how bad it's been recently for him. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that, well, Jorge Mateo did a good job in the eight hole. How about a great day for Anthony Bemboom in the nine hole for the Orioles? Adley Rutschman getting just his third full day off of the year as Anthony Bemboom, who was recalled this weekend, got the start behind the dish hitting ninth. And Bemboom goes one for three, but the one hit was a big one. His single in the fifth inning didn't end up getting an RBI because the run Jorge Mateo scored from first on an error, but a bloop single that kind of got kicked into right field by Jose Caballero. Mateo comes all the way around to score to put the Orioles up 3-2 to two in the fifth inning. That would be the winning run. That would be the final score of the game. And shout out to Bembu. His first hit with the Orioles since May of 2022 gives the O's the lead. Also had a great game defensively behind home plate. Caught the foul tip on the final pitch on the Bautista save to get the 3-2 win. Just nice to have a backup catcher do a couple of things when you give the best catcher in the American League the day off and let him rest his legs a little bit. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from the Euros 3-2 win on Sunday over the Mariners is that Felix Bautista was able to bounce back. After giving up the home run to Mike Ford on Saturday and blowing the save, he got another chance for a one-run save, entering in the ninth with a 3-2 lead after Danny Coulomb had a great 1-2-3 eighth, and the Orioles did smartly save Yenye Cano for Monday because Bautista probably won't be available Monday against the Reds. But they go to Felix, and it was just nasty. Strikes out the first two batters, goes 0-2 on Ty France. Ty France with the biggest excuse-me single of all time on an 0-2 splitter. Just kind of had his arms fully extended, bat was almost out of his hands, and just somehow kind of flipped it. I don't even know how he did it. Just flipped it in the left field for a base hit. The pinch runner Dylan Moore did steal second because Felix, one thing he can't do really is hold runners. But he comes back and strikes out Teoscar Hernandez to end the game for the Orioles' victory. And I mean, Felix, there was something extra coming out of that right arm of Felix Bautista on Sunday. His fastball that Hernandez foul-tipped into the mitt of Ben Boom to end the game on a high fastball was 102.5 miles per hour. But the first pitch Bautista threw in the at-bat to Hernandez, which was a ball low and inside, 103.4 miles per hour on the fastball. It was the hardest pitch of Bautista's career. And hat tip to Nathan Ruiz of the Baltimore Sun once again for this one. 
the hardest pitch ever recorded by an Orioles pitcher in StatCast history. StatCast has been recording pitch velocity since 2008. So in 15 years at least, hardest pitch thrown by an Oriole. And I would guess that's the hardest pitch ever thrown by an Oriole at 103.4 from Bautista. He's on another level right now despite blowing the save on Saturday. But the O's do, despite the embarrassing loss on Friday, get the win Sunday and get the series victory over the Mariners. Did talk a lot about the two wins. Didn't talk much about the 13-1 to loss Friday. And not really going to do it. But coming up next, we're going to tie up a few loose ends, give a couple other shout-outs, talk about a couple more performances from the weekend that was between the O's and the Mariners. So we're back here to finish things off as the O's win two out of three against the Seattle Mariners. Next up for the O's on this homestand, the red-hot Cincinnati Reds come into town to take on the O's. Who would have thought that Reds-Orioles at the end of June would have been a marquee series for Major League Baseball? But that's where we're at right now. This is maybe the biggest must-watch series of the week in the majors. In Game 1 tonight, Reds coming in at 41-37. and 37. They had won 12 in a row, but... They lost the final two games at home against the Braves this weekend, so they're now on a two-game losing streak. But kind of similar to the Orioles, where remember when the O's went to Atlanta and lost two out of three to the Braves, but everyone was like, even though they lost the series, the O's look like they're for real? It's kind of what happened with the Reds this weekend. Yeah, they lost the series, but they still showed, we're for real. We can hang with maybe the best team in baseball. Well, the Reds starter in this one tonight for Game 1 will be the 25-year-old left-hander Brandon Williamson. He's made seven starts for the Reds this season since being called up. Former second-round pick, actually, of the Mariners back in 2019. Williamson, not a big strikeout guy so far. Just 27 Ks in 37 innings, and he does have a 5-4-0 ERA. He has struggled a little bit. His last start was better, though, against Colorado. Five innings, three runs, six hits, five Ks, and no walks. Williamson will face off against Cole Irvin, who the Orioles pushed all the way back to Monday night to make his third start back from his return from AAA. We know Irvin has not been great this year. His last start in Chicago, four innings, three runs, five hits, four Ks, and one walk. Hopefully, he can try to tame this red-hot Reds offense. But you can catch every pitch of the Orioles radio broadcast of Game 1 between the Orioles and Reds with SiriusXM on the SXM app. It's a 7.05 p.m. Eastern Time start tonight. You can catch it all by downloading that SiriusXM app and searching Orioles. But we're going to talk about a few more things from the weekend before wrapping up here. First thing is that I talked about Cedric Mullins making the return on Saturday. He did make his return to center field on Sunday. Looked fine out there. Looked good. Beating it down the, the baseline. Also had his first hit back in the lineup with an eighth inning single on Sunday as well. And listen, he stayed in both games the entire way, looked healthy. That is huge, huge for the Orioles right now. In the roster moves that the Orioles made with Mullins coming back, Josh Lester was sent down to AAA. We kind of saw that coming. Last thing he did for the O's before being sent down was pitch a scoreless inning in the ninth inning of the 13-1 game on Friday. Got a strikeout, didn't look bad position player pitching. Bruce Zimmerman also came up for the Orioles. Logan Gillespie was sent down. Gillespie had threw a lot of pitches, pitched two innings in relief on Friday. So Zimmerman was here as a long relief arm. We'll see how long he stays in his next stint here with the O's. But those were moves that we expected to be made, especially after Gillespie continues on that Norfolk shuttle, pitching two innings. Could be another reliever here at some point this week. Friday was bad, right? 13-1 loss, but... There were a couple positives. Logan Gillespie had two strong innings, and CNL Perez threw two scoreless innings for the Orioles in that game Friday. 
He had three strikeouts. First time all season that Perez has struck out three batters in one outing. And he's gone multiple outings where he's gone more than one inning. You can just tell he's not the same pitcher as he was last year, but he's getting a little bit better at times. He continues to waver on that will-he-won't-he of being DFA'd, but sticking around for now with a good outing on Friday. Not so good of an outing for Kyle Gibson, who one of the big reasons why the O's lost Friday, he had his worst start as an Oriole. Just three innings in that one. His shortest start with the O's coming into Friday's game was four and a third innings. He pitched just three innings Friday night, five runs on seven hits, four Ks, three walks, a homer, and he did allow nine hard-hit balls on the day. Just didn't have his his best stuff. Got hurt a little bit in the second inning. Adam Frazier probably should have turned a double play that he didn't, although only one run scored in that inning. It was more about a really bad third inning for Kyle Gibson when he gave up four runs. And then, you know, every other start besides that one and the four and a third inning start have been at least five. So Gibson at least has given the O's length every time. He didn't do that Friday. The reason it was 13-1 to is because Keegan Aiken was a disaster. And I mean, when I say disaster, I mean absolute disaster. Gave up seven runs in two-thirds of an inning on Friday night. So, yeah, that's why it got to 13-1. to I mean, they had to leave it to Josh Lester to kind of rein things in from the Oriole bullpen. But a couple more shout-outs. Um, one to Michael Givens, kind of on the bad side. He stopped his rehab outing with Norfolk, came back to Baltimore, not because he's about to be activated to the bullpen, but because there's more issues going on with his shoulder. First it was the knee, now it's the shoulder. They're reevaluating. Brandon Hyde said it's, you know, not a huge issue in that he thinks he'll be back on his rehab soon, but just another tally on the sheet of I don't think Givens or Tate will be a factor for the Orioles this year. But on the positive side, Adam Frazier... Had three hits this weekend. Reached base four times. Frazier has been really, really slumping lately for the Orioles. But he reached base three times on Saturday. Had two hits, had a walk, had an RBI. That was the first time he had reached base three times in a game since May 20th in Toronto. So more than a month since he had done that. So shout out to Frazier. Hopefully he can get his bat going a little bit more. But that is the weekend that was for the Orioles. They take two out of three from the Mariners. Get to 47 and 29. And next up... They've got the Reds, the red, hot Reds, coming into town for a three-game series starting tonight. And I'll be back with you on the pod tomorrow. Podcast will be out a little bit later because of some travel for me, so probably out more so in the late morning on Tuesday instead of its usual very early posting time, but there still will be an episode Tuesday. Be recapping game one between the Orioles and the Reds and getting you any other O's news that you would need. But until then... I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.